Hello, everyone. How are you tonight? Hope everybody's doing good. It's Wednesday. Another Wednesday we have. So I know that we all love to read the Psalms, right? Or should I say, as Christians, the Psalms should be something that we love to read, something that we like to meditate on. And so, let me just get this going real quick. Because it's in the Psalms that we find prayers of petition, songs of praise, laments of trouble, call to refuge. But in the book of Psalms, we also find probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, and that's Psalm 23. I don't think there's any psalm that's more quoted, more recited, more memorized, inscribed in cards than Psalm 23. And out of all the Old Testament passages, this is the most famous, probably right next to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Charles Spurgeon calls this chapter of Psalm the Pearl of the Psalms. Psalm 23 is 119 words of comfort for believers. It is six simple verses that describe the shepherd and how he delicately cares for us, how he fiercely protects us, and how he fearlessly guides us. As I said, Psalm 23 is probably one of the most famous and popular chapters in the Bible, and most of us can probably recite it in its entirety here. But I want to say and, and warn that a lot of times when we get these Bible verses that we're so familiar with, a lot of times when we get the, the scripture that we read, and sometimes we maybe will gloss over it because we might say to ourselves, well, I already know that one, or I've read that a hundred times. You know, sometimes we do that with John 3.16 and other verses that we've memorized, and they become so familiar that sometimes we forget the meaning I know I've done that several times with, if I'm reading like Genesis and I go back and I come back to Genesis again, I say, well, you know, I've already, I already know most of Genesis 1 and 2 and do I really need to read it again? So I think we sometimes get into that, that rut where we're, we think that we already know what we're going to be reading there, but I, I would tell you just to continue to read it because there's so much that we can get out of it. And everyone knows this passage. Even unbelievers know this passage. Augustine called it the hymn of the martyrs because so many of the Christian martyrs sang and recited Psalm 23 as they went to their deaths or while they were being tortured for Christ. Abraham Lincoln, who battled severe depression most of his life, many times quoted this psalm and turned to the Bible to manage his depression. It's also reported that when he was a lawyer, he was asked by a dying widow to make her will. She then asked him to read from the Bible, and a young Abraham Lincoln recited Psalm 23 and the opening verses of John 14, which says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house there are many rooms, for not so I would tell you. And I go to prepare a place for you. It's also said that Abraham Lincoln loved to read the Psalms, and in a letter that he wrote to a nurse in the White House, he wrote, They are the best, for I find them, I find something for every day of the week. We also can remember that George W. Bush recited Psalm 23 to a nation that was weary and in wonder after the horrific September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. Psalm 23 is a very simple but yet very deep psalm. And every time we read it, we can find comfort and be assured that we have a great shepherd that's with us always. Even though many people use this psalm for comfort in times of distress and at hospital beds and at funerals, that's not all we should be using it for. Because sometimes it seems like this psalm is abused or misapplied sometimes. The reason is, is because in verse 4 it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But we can be assured that this psalm has much more to do with life than it has to do with death. It's a description of living life in God's care and having relationship with the great shepherd that we have. It's the psalmist's relationship to the living God in his own life. And that's why he says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now don't worry, I'm not going to ask anybody to come up and recite it. But I did read about a Sunday school teacher that asked her class if anyone could quote the entire 23rd Psalm. And a little golden-haired, four-and-a-half-year-old girl was among those who raised their hand. Being a little bit skeptical, the teacher asked if she, if she could really quote the entire psalm. The little girl came in front of the room and faced the class and made her perky little bow and said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. She bowed again, went and sat down. I think that's probably one of the greatest interpretations of Psalm 23 I have ever heard. So now if we could all just please stand and how about if we all read Psalm 23 together? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Lord God, I just thank you for this night. I just thank you for us to be able to come here together to read your word and to study and to be together in unity as we pray for those of, uh, that we know that, that, need their, that need prayer. And I just pray that you'll just be with us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Thank you. So we all know that David was a great king of Israel. And he wrote this psalm. 
And if you remember when Samuel was sent to anoint David as Israel's next king, David was not at home at the time with his father and his brothers. He was in the fields keeping the sheep. And we read this in 1 Samuel 16, 11, and 12 when it says, Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as we see, David, the great king of Israel, never forgot David, the young shepherd. Because it's out of his experiences, both the good and the bad, with the sheep that he shepherded and his personal relationship with God that he gave us this beautiful picture of the Lord's care for his children. I remember growing up and hearing this psalm all the time in church. And for those of you who don't know, I grew up in the Catholic church and I was an altar boy. And not only was I the altar boy, but I one time became the captain of the altar boys. Now, all this meant was that, they were, that during school time when they had a funeral, I was able to pick the people that were going to go and skip school, miss school to serve the Mass. So, of course, I was one of them. And then I would pick a couple friends every so often, and sometimes they'd bribe me with, you know, hey, I'll give you my lunch or whatever. <laughs> but it's like every single time that I remember being at a funeral, this would be recited. And many of us heard it when we're facing trouble or at hospital bedsides or when somebody's sick or maybe dying. But I don't think that Psalm 23 should just be remembered this way. Because in this chapter, we find a statement of provision from the shepherd. And in this chaotic and troubled world that we live in right now, we should not find yearning but contentment. We should be able to say with boldness that with our great shepherd, we shall not want. We will lack nothing. Psalm 23 has been called the shepherd's psalm, and when we read it, we know why. But if we look more closely at the psalm, we see that it's not just about sheep and shepherd. There's so much more in these six verses. In the first three verses, it speaks of the Lord in the third person. It says, He is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness. And then we notice a change when we come to verse 4. It changes to the first person. And David here now is speaking directly to God. He's not speaking to him as a shepherd. He's speaking to him as a friend. This is very personal to him. And it should be personal to us too. In verse 5, we see another change. It goes from the outside 
the valley to the inside. So we see it in three different areas here. The first part is in the field, the second part is in the valley, and the third part is in the house of the Lord. So when we read this psalm, we can read it in three different parts. If we look at the first part of the psalm, it says in Psalm 23, 1 to 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And as we know, other translations say that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this is showing that as a shepherd, God gives us direction. In the time that we live in now, most of us don't know anything about shepherding. I'm sure that most of us don't even know a shepherd. So this psalm sometimes may not make sense to us because I don't think that's one of the ordinary occupations that we have in our society. I don't think anybody's ever come across that. I know that many times when we do uh, when we go out with friends or if we meet somebody new, we always say the same thing. Hey, how you doing? And men say, hey, so what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a shepherd. Anybody ever heard that before? I haven't, no. So that's not a normal response in our day and age, but back then, there were shepherds. But when David wrote this, and he was a shepherd, and those that would be reading this psalm would know the context in which David was writing this psalm. The idea of God being our shepherd should be and is probably one of the most comforting metaphors in the entire Bible. Let's look at Isaiah 40, 11. It says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Doesn't that bring you comfort just reading that? Knowing that he is our shepherd and he comforts us? This is a picture of the care that a shepherd has for his sheep. Specifically, this is about the care that God has for his people. We have a great shepherd who takes care of us, his sheep. I don't know if you know anything about sheep, but I've been watching a couple documentaries. And every time I see something, a documentary, or I read about it, I realize that sheep can't really take care of themselves very good. I remember watching one documentary on it, and it was in Israel, and they were showing the shepherd, and it showed the shepherd walking, and the guy had the camera watching it, and all of a sudden you see this one sheep just kind of wandering back. He looked back at the shepherd, and he just kept going, and, I'm, and then the guy's like, well, yeah, that shepherd's not going to be, or that sheep's not going to go very far, or either die or starve to death or get killed by a wolf, and I'm like, well, why don't you go get him? Give him back to the shepherd, but that's, but I'm just telling you that sheep are helpless, and they're helpless against the predators, and this is why they need a shepherd to take care of them. They require more care and more attention 
than any other animal. And this is exactly why it doesn't surprise me that the Bible refers to us as sheep over 200 times. If we look at Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. Doesn't that sound like us? Just like that sheep straying away, walking away, no care in the world. We all want to go our own way. We all want to do our own things. We all think that we know what is best for us. Do you remember the time when the Lord wasn't your shepherd? Remember how you lived and when you were left to your own devices? See, without a shepherd, without a shepherd guiding us, we're always going to stray away. And in fact, the only time that we ever read of a sheep in a good light in the Bible is when they're under the care of a shepherd. But then one common mistake that many make, especially for those who are not believers, is that they have an idea that being called a sheep or being a sheep is a bad thing. But David didn't look at it like this, and we shouldn't either. We should look at this with happiness. We should be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. It's very personal. The beginning of Psalm 23 is very personal. This is a statement of relationship. This is a statement of the relationship David had with God. Notice that David didn't write, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. He doesn't write, the Lord could be our shepherd or could be my shepherd. He, want, he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. It's kind of like if you ever heard like a little kid bragging about their dad or something, saying, that's my dad right there. That's my dad. He does this and he does that. And it's, it's, a, it's pride. He's personal. It's a personal thing that they have. And David, in that same way, is here bragging. Look at who my shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. This statement makes God very personal. It's because we serve a personal God. Here we see in this passage, as well as throughout the whole New Testament, that the Lord is our shepherd. And he's our shepherd in two different ways. First, Jesus is our good shepherd. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We, as passionate followers of Christ, can say that the Lord is my shepherd. We have that personal relationship with him. There's something else about Psalm 23, and, I, and Charles Spurgeon wrote this about the psalm. Psalm 22, 23, and 24. He says that the position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. There's no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd psalm. It is only after we have read 
my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That we come to the Lord is my shepherd. We must by experience know the value of blood shedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. If Jesus is not your savior, then God is not your shepherd. Psalm 23 is basically meaningless without Psalm 22. Because when we read Psalm 23, we should also read Psalm 22 and Psalm 24 together. I was telling a couple of people that when I was going to speak on Psalm 23, there's so much in these six verses that I think you can just continue on a series on this. Because there's so much in, this, in these six paragraphs. And for us to be able to truly and honestly say that the Lord is my shepherd, we have to have that personal relationship with him. The next thing is that he knows me. The Lord is my shepherd, so that makes us his sheep. Also in John 10, 14, we read, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. This again shows that personal relationship that we have. And I know that there's a lot of people that want to be known, especially by those that are in authority or those who might be famous and I remember growing up and have you ever known someone famous and they knew you by name? And when they said hi to you, maybe in front of your friends or maybe in front of people that you know, it kind of makes you feel special, makes you feel important. Hey, that guy knows me. He knows me by name. That's the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. He knows us. And that's why we can call him our good shepherd. Next we see that the Lord provides for me. In Psalm 23.1, it not only says that the Lord is my shepherd, but it also says, I have all that I need or I shall not want. When we read this, we have to be careful not to think that this is telling us that we'll get everything that we want. Or that this is promising us that we will live a life free of, op free of opposition or difficulty or trials. I mean, how many of us as parents give our children everything they want? Nobody. No, we wouldn't do that, right? We know what our children need. And that's what we provide for them. We try to teach our children that there's a difference between what they want and what they need. There's a huge difference between that. And so this is the same thing. We should look at this as that God has given us, his children, everything that we need. He is our provider. He's provided it all for us. It's just like we do with our children. We know exactly what they need. We also know what they want because we hear it 20 times a day, but we know what they need and we provide for them. 
So sheep obviously can't talk. Our kids can, but sheep can't. And they can't let the shepherd know what they want or what they need, because, but because the shepherd knows his flock, the shepherd spends time with his flock. The shepherd knows each and every one of his sheep. Because he spends so much time with them, he naturally knows what their needs are. It's the same way with God. He is our creator, and he is already aware of our needs before we even ask for them. Another thing that we see in this psalm is that should give us good encouragement is that we have a guide. In verses 2 and 4, we read, He leads me beside still waters, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This should give us comfort and set our minds at ease. He is our personal guide. He's the one who gives us guidance in our lives. He's the one who gives us direction. We spend so much time and money in this world seeking counseling and directions from others that we sometimes forget that we have a personal guide. How many people go on vacation and they would rather read a map to find out where you're going when you're touring? Or would you rather ask somebody who lives there, who is always there, who knows every place, who knows where a good place to eat is, who knows where the best place to go and see the scenes? We wouldn't rely on this little map that we have. We would try and find a tour guide. God is our guide. We have that guide. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, whether it's through his word, from the counsel of others, or other things. We know that when the Holy Spirit is within us, he will be our guide. So if we go back a little bit in verse 2, David writes, He leads me beside peaceful streams. Another thing that I found out is that shepherds don't allow the sheep to drink from running rivers. They won't take a sheep up and let them drink from the river that's running, no matter how peaceful it is. The reason is because when the sheep bend to drink, the water, they might fall in. So the shepherds will draw the water from the wells and give the sheep water to drink. In the same way, God provides us refreshment from peaceful streams. He leads his children to drink from his word. And that brings refreshment to our lives. Because God is always aware of our needs and always knows when and how to meet them. David also writes that the Lord restores him. The Lord restores me. To restore means to turn back. We don't usually mean to turn away from the Lord, but sometimes we do. Sometimes, like I said, we think that we know best. We think that we know what we should be doing. And sometimes we see how other people are living and sometimes even that old ways that we have tend to creep in on us. And sometimes it seems that before we know it, 
were like that little sheep that was wandering away. And because we will not return on our own, that's when the shepherd comes and finds us and helps us turn back. He restores us. 1 Peter 2.25 says, Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now have you, turned, you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. It's interesting that Peter writes this because if you remember, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he restored Peter by asking him three times if he loved him. And when Peter kept saying, yes, I do, yes, I love you, he told him to feed his lambs, take care of his sheep, and feed his sheep. This is why it's important for us when we've gone a little bit of astray and we've sinned, that we repent and allow the Lord to restore us. We then see that the Lord protects me. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Some translations say, the valley of the shadow of death. Of all the fears that we have in this world, I think that we can all agree that death is the one fear that grips us the most, no matter what. I think it's because that we know the stats on death and that it's one out of every one person will die. Because everybody's going to face death one day. And I think that scares us. But we can be comforted in knowing that when we walk with Jesus in life, we will be able to walk calmly with him through any valleys and even in the time of our death. We have nothing to fear. I've read several stories and I've even seen in my career people at the time of their death being very peaceful if they know that they're going to die and they're Christians. Have anybody realized that or seen that? Is that they seem very peaceful. A couple other things about this part of the passage is that this is also the reason why this passage of scripture is used for funerals and are on sympathy cards. It's because it says death here. But here, death is not necessarily talking about a physical death. In the Hebrew, it's more of a figurative of like a calamity or a disaster. That's why in this translation, it says the darkest valleys. Because we see that David isn't dying here. He's just describing what he's going through as the shadow of death or going through a dark valley. But even if the valley you go through is one of actual death, we'll still be okay because we'll still come out of that valley and enter into the presence of the Lord. We also see here that life is not always going to be about green pastures and still waters. We know that in our life that we should expect there to be some valleys. We can't all go from mountaintop to mountaintop. There's going to be some valleys in between those mountaintops. And sometimes I know that we might think that the valleys are too deep for us to get out of. 
And many times the shepherds will actually lead their sheep into the valley. And the reason is, is because in the area where David was writing, and at the time of these original readers of this passage, it would get really hot there. So shepherds would move the sheep down into the valleys. And probably as you can imagine, the sheep do not like this because they're going downhill and they're being led downhill into and they see the shadows because their eyesight's not that good. And so they're not very big fans of walking downward into the shadow in a dark valley. But there's a reason why the shepherd brings them down there. They do it because it's cooler down there for the sheep. And it protects them from the heat. And there are streams of water there. Sometimes when we go through the darkest of valleys is where we find the greenest pastures. And when it says we're walking through something, it means we're not there to stay. But at the time that this is happening, the sheep don't know this. And sometimes when we're on our darkest valleys in our life, we don't know this. But we have to know that we will come out of this valley and the Lord will be there and give us comfort. The shadow of death also cannot hurt a child of God. It's just a shadow. Remember, a shadow always means that there is light shining. And Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. We also see that there's comfort in the valley. And that comfort comes with the shepherd's rod, which guards and protects us, and his staff, which guides us. So Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. And in John 10, 7, he says, I am the door. And this is the third of what is known as the seven I am statements in John. And what this means is that he is the door to the sheepfold. In ancient times when the sheep would be being put away for the night, the shepherd would put them in little sheep pens or sheepfolds, and there would be an opening, a little opening, and when he, the shepherd made sure that all of the sheep got in there for the night, the shepherd would lay down in the little doorway and be the door. That way he knew that if anything came in, like a wolf, he would know because they would have to pass through him. And if any of the sheep were coming out, he would know because they'd have to come over, over him. This was the way that the shepherd would protect his sheep. So Jesus is not only the shepherd of the sheep, he's also the door of the sheep. He's reiterating here that it's only through him that salvation is possible. In this world we live in, there's full of predators and people are always trying to destroy us. But we can be assured that as followers of Christ, we will always be under his protection. We now see a shift in the last two verses. This psalm now goes from the Lord is my shepherd to him being my host. Psalm 23, 5 and 6 says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. 
You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. When David wrote this psalm, he was a little bit older. He was pursued by many people, including King Saul, people who belonged to his inner circle, and even his own son. All these people turned against him. So he, at this time, was thinking about all that the Lord has done for him. In the verses here, David's describing the Lord's faithfulness to him and all, all of God's children in the time of great storms. Could you imagine sitting at a table, as this describes, eating while all your enemies are around you and they want to hurt you and they're surrounding you, but you have a peace and a calm because you know that your good shepherd is there to protect you and calm you and give you peace. Another way to think about it is, can you imagine a soldier in a battlefield in the midst of all the enemies here? They're attacking him. And here comes the general. He comes out, sets up a table, puts a little tablecloth on there, starts putting food on there, and says, hey guys, it's time to eat. And the soldier's like, hey, what about all these? No, it, that's kind of like the picture that when I read that, that's kind of a picture that I get of that. And because you would think that in a time when there was enemies surrounding him, that the soldier would want to just grab something like a, one of those meals ready to eat things or something quickly just to stuff in their mouth before going to battle because they're afraid of being captured or tortured or killed. But that's not the picture that we have here. We have a picture of the Lord spreading the table for his children right in the middle of the enemy's territory. And all that enemy can do is watch us feast. Even in those times when it seems that the enemy has defeated us, we're invited by Jesus, our good shepherd, to sit down and enjoy fellowship with him by praying, reading his word, and we can find refreshment in his presence. And when we do that and we meditate on his word and we pray and we seek him, it is then that our cup that looks empty now becomes full. Not even just full, but it says overflowing. I always picture someone pouring a drink of water or something. And I know a lot of times when I go on retreat with my cousins and dad, you know, sometimes we at dinner and I say, hey, can you pour me some water? And they think they're funny and they'll pour it and keep pouring. Okay, that's enough. And they keep it and water gets all over. That's overflowing. This is how we gather the strength to face another day. Also, in ancient times, when you went to someone's house or their tent, as a visitor, they would first give you the common hello kiss. You know, like the French do. That was the common hello kiss. They would greet you with that. Then the servant would remove your sandals and wash your feet. Then they would place oil on your face and on your head because you would need refreshing after being in the hot sun. Then they would give you a glass of wine with a little honey. And then they would spread out a rug in front of you and serve you a meal. 
This is a picture of what we get from this. This verse also talks about anointing my head with oil. Oil was used by shepherds to soothe and heal the irritation and wounds a sheep experienced. The origin of anointing was from the practice of the shepherds. A lot of times lice and other insects would often get in the wool of the sheep. And when they got near the sheep's head, they would burrow into the sheep's ears and kill them. So what the ancient shepherds would do, would they would pour the oil on the sheep's head. And this would make the wool slippery, making it impossible for the insects to get near the sheep's ears because the insects would slide off. From this, anointing became symbolic of blessing, protection, and empowerment. And we also know that oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When we're saved, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we have the oil from heaven in our lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's with us that helps us with any irritations, trials, difficulties, and conflicts. Finally, in verse 6, the psalm ends with psalm with a praise to the Lord for his power. It says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is the benefit of being a faithful follower of our shepherd, Jesus. This verse doesn't say maybe goodness and unfailing love or mercy will follow me, or it's very possible that goodness and mercy will follow us. No, it says surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. This means truly and without certain and with certain. This is a declaration of future based on the past. David knows that the Lord has protected him and taken care of him in the past. And he is sure that the Lord will do the same in the future. David believed in a sure God, one who makes sure promises and provides a sure foundation. We can know for certain that when we walk with the Lord and make him the shepherd of our lives, that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we have the promise that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever is a long time, and we have that promise. I think that's a great promise, don't you? That the great God of the universe, the creator of all, has made it possible that we, wandering sheep who want to go our own way, can live forever with him in his house. How can this be? It's because our shepherd, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb of God who was the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. It is only through his death on the cross as God's perfect sacrifice for sin and his glorious resurrection three days later that we can now rest on the promise of eternal life and that we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So I ask you, do you know the great shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? So when I was doing this, I was reading and there was a actor who had a really good voice and he was famous and he went to a church function and everybody was so excited to see him there. And so there was also a pastor and they were all sitting at the table together. And so because he was known for his voice that everybody liked to hear and he could do different characters of voices, the people started asking him, hey, can you quote this line from this movie? Or hey, can you quote this from this book? So the pastor, after this was done for a little bit, the pastor said, can you recite Psalm 23 for me? And the actor said, why, yes, sure I can. On one condition, that after I do it, you recite it also. The pastor said, okay, I'll do that. So the actor got up and he said in his big voice and he recited Psalm 23. And everybody loved it. They were clapping and cheering and great job. It was a great, great job. So then the preacher, who was a little bit older, his voice was a little bit rougher. He then stood up. He cleared his throat. And not so much like the actor did. He recited Psalm 23 as well. After he was done, there was not a dry eye anywhere. People were crying. And so afterward, a bunch of people were talking to this actor and they said, why was there such a difference between you talking and saying the Psalm 23 and the pastor doing it? And the actor said, because I know Psalm 23 and I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. So we all know the psalm. Even unbelievers know this psalm. But I ask you again, do you know the shepherd? Do you know his direction in your life? Do you know how his protection in your life? Can you say right now without question that the Lord is my shepherd? Lord God, I just thank you for this day and I just thank you for your word and I thank you for your promises that you've given to us that you're our shepherd, our great shepherd and that you're there to protect us and to guide us. And I just ask you right now, Lord, just I pray for all those that need prayer tonight. I pray for all those who are sick anybody who's suffering. Like Pastor said, I pray for Pat Morrow, Lord God. I just pray that you'll be with him and heal him. And all those in our church, Lord God, and around us that we know that have cancer, Lord, I just pray that you'll completely heal them. And I just ask you to continue to bless us and continue to bless our church. I continue to pray for our pastors, Lord God, and their families.
and Pastor Clanton and Becky, Lord. I pray for them. And I just thank you so much for all that you've given to us. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us this time tonight together to read your word, to study your word, and to know you better. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.